All right, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to two different passages of Scripture while we're kind of getting it set up. We're going to look at Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 32. Once you find Romans chapter 1, then I'm going to give you a more challenging one. I want you to turn back to the Old Testament, to Joel chapter 2, and I'm going to read several verses out of there this morning. Uh, so Romans chapter 1 and Joel chapter 2 is where I'm going to take my text from this morning. So before we get to that point, I wanted to kind of set the stage. For those of you that were able to come to Sunday school this morning, uh, we had an excellent Sunday school opportunity in teaching uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And, and, and as Isaiah shared with us, um, he is a man of unclean lips and he dwells among a people of unclean lips. And he shared with us that which he had experienced in the glory of the Lord in that time in the presence of the Lord. And today I want us to, to, to talk about the great awakening or the great judgment. My friends, I want you to understand something. We as, as the church today, we as Americans today, we as the world today are standing on the precipice of either the great awakening or the great judgment. And I'll share with you why I say that and what I mean by that this morning. And you'll get that from the text. But uh, throughout the biblical history, God has called for what he calls solemn assemblies for prayer, which marked extra extraordinary spiritual breakthroughs for God's people. Uh, I want to, uh, to uh, uh, place before you the truth of the Word of God that accurately diagnoses the present danger that we in our nation are in. Not from terrorists, but from God Himself. I also want to show you from history the place that uh, of uh, intense times of crying out to God have in the outpouring of the Spirit of God towards a spirit of revival. We sang that song this morning, Revive Us Again. Uh, and, and we so desperately need that in our lives. And it is my prayer. It's been my prayer as I was asking God this week, God, what do you want me to preach on? And I was seeking for an inspiration. And I, a Friday morning, I had nothing. Everything that I thought about just fell flat. And Friday morning, I was just earnestly praying, God, show me, give me a sign as to what you want. And uh, my 31-day prayer prompt came across my text. And I read it, and it said, Bring your people to a place of praying for spiritual awakening. And I thank the Lord right then. Thank you for the inspiration and the direction and for the answer to prayer. And then I knew what we needed to talk about this morning. So as we come to that point, my prayer is that the Spirit's created an urgency and intensity will overtake our souls to the point that our church will pray as one for a spiritual awakening among God's people as a whole. So if you would, let's stand together as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul starts here in verse 18, and we're going to read down to verse 32, and talks about what happens when, when people fail to pray and seek the face of God? What happens when we continue to fall away from God? What happens when we continue to say we know God, but we're not willing to serve God? We know God, but we don't love God. Here's what God tells us here in His Word. Paul writes, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like an incorruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things." 
wherewith God also gave him up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the Creator, uh, the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Um, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one towards another man, with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was met. And even as they did not like to regain or retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, uh, whispers, backbiting, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, and covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful. That's exactly where we are today as a nation, my friends. We are standing right there. Now turn back, if you would, to the book of Joel. And I want you to see that God didn't just say this in the New Testament for us today, but He had told us about what He was going to do all the way back, even in God's uh, people of Israel and where they were in their time. In Joel chapter 2, I want to look at verses 1 and 2 and then slip down to verse 15 and read through verse 26. And Joel says, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand, a day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there has not been ever the like, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. Now skip down to Verse 15, if you would, with me. Uh, I, I just don't have time to read it all. It's so good. And then again, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast, let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep before the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore shall, should they say among the, the people, Where is their God? And then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Yea, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, Behold, I have sent the corn and the wine and the oil, and you shall be satisfied wherein I will no more make you a reproach among the heathens. But I will remove far from you to the northern army and will drive him into the land barren and desolate with a face towards the east sea and his hinder parts towards the uttermost sea. And his sink, uh, stink shall come, upon, uh, come up and his ill savor shall come up because he has done great things. Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord will do great things. Be, be not afraid, ye beasts of the fields and the pastures of the wilderness. Do spring, for the tree beareth her fruit, and the fig tree and the wine do yield her strength. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, and the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floor shall be filled of wheat and fats, shall overflow the wine and oil. And I will restore you the years that the locusts have eaten of the canker worms and the caterpillar and the palmer worms, my great army which I send among you. And he shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God and has dwelt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed." 
Father, we ask that, Lord, as we see both uh, the, the promise of destruction and the promise of restoration, when God's people will come together and cry out before the Lord in solemn assembly, Lord, seeking, the, as Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. I acknowledge my sin and I dwell among a sinful people. Lord, bring us to that place where we will acknowledge that we have sinned and the world around us is living in that deep, dark sin. And we, the church of Jesus Christ, must make a stand and we must fall on our face before you this morning. God, would you listen to the plea of my heart and would you move with power and might and fill this place with your presence this morning. May the smoke fill the place so that we know that there is the presence of God upon us, Lord, we ask. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated this morning. Listen, my friends, uh, Joel reminds us that there is a great destruction coming. But listen, my friends, there is hope when God's people will repent of their sin, when God's people will acknowledge where they are and where they need to be, then God will send a, a latter rain, a restoration. So I want to talk to you this morning. Did you know that since 1947, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists have depicted on its cover what is called the Doomsday Clock. This clock registers how close the world is to a nuclear uh, 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 catastrophe uh, by approximately only minutes, or by the minute hand, towards the, the midnight hour. These nuclear science weigh both positive and negative factors in the world, and they make their determination about how close we are to this ruin. Now, if you look at that clock up there on the screen, you'll see that um, it, it has been looked at for many, many years, and look at where it is today. We are very close. What they're saying basically is this. Last year, the clock was set two minutes to midnight. Midnight symbolizes the end of the world. The same place it was back in, uh, in 2018, after considering the continual threat of terrorism, the proliferation of nuclear and chemical and biological weapons, and the action of non or non-action of nations in regard to peace, the team of scientists adjusted the clock to read two minutes to midnight. So what are they saying? In their estimate, they're saying to us, we're dancing on the edge of no doubt destruction. Well, I say to them, we know that it is. We know that we are there, but not by nuclear, not by chemical, not by biological, but the Bible says that we are dancing on the edge of a destruction by a holy God who says, I have put up with as much as I'm putting up with and judgment is going to fall upon the land. My friends, we have an opportunity today to do something about that. Uh, Far more ominous than any human danger is the unspeakable, awesome wrath of God. Romans 1.18 tells us that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people. But what is the wrath of God? The word of uh, um, kind of tells us here, used here, described a settled and abiding disposition against something or someone. Uh, to say that God is wrathful describes his determined and continual opposition towards that which repulses him. God's wrath is the reflex action of his perfect holiness against an unholy people. And get this, when God's wrathfulness towards a person it doesn't mean he's flying off the handle in a rage, losing control in a fit of anger. Not at all. No, when God's wrath rests upon a person, it means that he has set himself to the battle array against that person. He has taken all that he's going to take and he has given as much grace as he is going to give. And now he says, it is time to be taken to the woodshed. How many of us as parents have said, I've given you as much grace, I've given you as much opportunity as you are going to get. Now you must face the consequences of discipline. So, so the Old Testament prophet Joel shocked the nation of Israel when he ordered the blowing of the, temp, or the trumpet in, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 1. 
which is akin to turning on the air raid siren today. At the sound, everyone would drop what they were doing. They would gather themselves together for a looming war. And they would ask the question, what enemy is bearing down on us? What enemy threatens our gates? Once they gathered, Joel then began to explain to them who was breathing down their neck. It was not a foreign government. It was not a wayward army. It was God himself. He is coming, Joel said. The Lord raises his voice in the presence of his army. His camp is very large. Those who carry out his commands are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is a terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it, Joel said in verse 11. God has seen uh, Israel's sin and had come to the, the point of there is no more grace. Now it is time for me to fight against your sinful ways. That's the biblical picture of God's wrath towards his people. And listen, my friends, it don't take but five minutes, if that long, to turn on the news or the radio and to listen or to look at our society today and say, God must be fed up with what we're doing and what we're allowing in our world today. God must be at the end of his rope. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, he tells us that God is on the move continually and deliberately like an unstoppable army. He rumbles into the lives of those whose attitudes are irrelevant, uh, ir irreverent, perversive, and idolatrous. That, my friends, is what the Bible describes as ungodliness. He squares off against the actions of those that are loveless, immoral, and prideful, and rebellion. And that's what Paul says are the unrighteousness of the world today. It is a disturbing thought to consider that our Lord, our own Savior, our own Father, may be the one stirring up the enemies that are coming against us as a nation today. It may be that God has stirred up the coronavirus so that he might get the attention of his people once again. It might be that God has taken us from the affluent economic situation in which we were in and said to you, now you're going to be humbled and have to struggle because I want your attention. Christy said this morning in Sunday school, she said, when do we best worship the Lord? When everything is going great or when everything begins to fall apart? You see, the Lord knows that sometimes He must get our attention in order for us to get our heart. It's disturbing to me to consider the fact that, that God has come to the place where He might be coming against His people. We as Christians today oftentimes complain about the secular humanism of our society, about the pervasive subjectiveness that we have to face as Christians, about the removal of the critical spiritual elements from public schools and judicial systems. We grieve over the media bias that we see all the time. And the fact that the homosexual agenda is being crammed down our throat to the point that even the church is expected to cowtail to it. And the creeping of immorality onto the airwaves and onto the televisions and onto the internet. We're perceived ourselves to be the victims. And we oftentimes pray for God's protection. And in one sense, that is right. We do and we are the victim, and we do pray for God's protection. But the Bible says that we live in such a time as this, that we're living in what is called the last days, the final days before the coming of the Lord. And the Bible reminds us that we're living in a day when all of this sin is there. We're living in what the Bible talks about, demon-possessed days, days in which evil will prevail in which sin will show itself. But could it be possible? Could it be, just maybe, just maybe our Lord, our Father Himself, is prompting these adversaries against us, as He did in Joel's day, as He says in Paul's day. And we who know the Lord, are we just victims, or are we a part of the problem? 
My friends, I want you to understand that it's easy to play the victim card. It's easy for the church to say, oh, we're being victimized by the things of the world. When I believe that we are the part of the problem. I believe that when we're not standing up on biblical values, when we're not voting biblical values, we're voting political parties instead of biblical values, we are part of the problem. When we, the church, are accepting the things of this world and blindly saying, well, what can we do about it? We can pray. God has called us out of our laziness, our lackadaisicalness, out of our slump to come before Him. Joel blew the trumpet and said, it is a call to battle. And my friends, Ephesians tells us the battle is held on our excuse me, on our knees before the Lord. Listen, my friends, we cannot win the battle by going along with the world. We must come into the presence of the Lord. Are we who know the Lord victims? Or are we part of the problem? Let me ask you this way. Why does God say in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, and we we like to read 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14, but we fail to go back to verse 13. But I want to read verse 13 to you. I want you to understand why verse 14 comes about. In verse 13 it says, If I close the skies so that there is no rain, or if I command the grasshoppers to consume the land, or if I send pestilence upon my people... Now, what is he saying? God is telling him, if you rebel against me, if you turn to your wicked ways, if you do what the world does, if you do what you want to do, if you're doing it your way instead of my ways, then I will shut up heaven. Then I will send the grasshoppers. Then I will send the locusts. Then I will send the army. But, verse 14 goes on to say, if my people who are called by my name Not the lost, not the immoral of this world, but those, thank you, sweetheart, those of this, uh, uh, of the house of God. If those will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. Listen, my friends, we need to understand before we could ever cry verse 14, we must admit to verse 13. There has to be like Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. I recognize that I have sinned. And as I have sinned, I recognize that I live among others who have sinned as well. And we recognize that we must stand upon that premise and then why does 1 Peter chapter 4, 17 say this? For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And it first must begin at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Why would God say that my first judgment is not upon the sinfulness of this world, not upon the wicked of this world, but he said, when I come, I am going to pay my attention first to the church house before I ever go to the White House. You see, the reality is, my friends, we are part of the problem because we, the church, are not doing what God has called us to do. We are here today to do what God has called us to do. I wonder, I wonder where the the hand of the divine doomsday clock is at. I wonder how close we are to, to God saying, I've put up with enough. I've taken it long enough. I am now ready to judge. I'm ready to send judgment. Now listen, my friends. That doesn't mean Jesus coming and we're taken out and all's good. Great, God's coming. No, I'm talking about the fact that when God says, listen, I need to wake up the church so that before I come, more have been won to Christ. More have come to faith. More are living righteously. God is coming back for a church that is spotless, holy, without blemish. And we are not it. We are far from it. And God may have to send judgment to clean the house of God. And so, my friends, I say to you today, I wonder, 
how close we are to the hand of wrath falling upon us. But listen, I believe that God would much rather move back the hand of wrath than to send it. I believe that God would much rather say, let me turn the clock back one hour and give you more time than to say, judgment has arrived. So how then can we, the church today, turn back the doomsday clock? This is where the sermon begins. That was the introduction. I want to talk to you this morning about the dynamics of the coming of the wrath of God. I want you to understand God has put in place, He has set together some certain dynamics that we can either push forward the wrath of God or we can pull back the wrath of God. I want us to look at how that we as a church can begin today to pull back the hands of time and God not send forth His wrath upon us. First of all, I want you to understand that God has established a limit the amount of sin that he will tolerate. I want you to know that we we have a tendency of preaching from the pulpit the endless grace of God. And it is endless. But listen, let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear that God has a limit as to how much sin he's going to tolerate among his children. God's word makes reference to the cutoff point when God's patience and tolerance reaches its end. We go back to the the, the beginning, to the book of Genesis in chapter 15 and verse 16, which talks about God's wrath is not yet revealed against the Amorites. And he says, the iniquity of the Amorites has not been yet reached its full measure. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, why have you not sent your wrath upon the Amorites? And God responded, because they have not reached the fullness of that point yet. It says to us, God has a point in which he will cut off his grace and judgment will come. Wrath will show up. And so Jesus scolded the hypocrites in the New Testament, the hypocritical religious leaders of his day with these words. Fill up then the measure of your father's sin. Notice what he said. He said, listen, your father's sin have not left me. You continue to fill the cup. And when it is full, I will judge. And yes, he did. And yes, he will. According to scripture, God has established a legal limit to sin. We do not know exactly what that limit is. Because we don't know God in that way. He has the ability to set his own limits and we cannot understand where they are. But we can see the evidence that we're getting close. Well, we don't know how close that we may be to crossing that limit. When the sin of a nation or a person reaches that limit, my friends, God's mercy gives way to God's wrath. And we do not want to be there. Understand that when God sets himself against a person or a nation, his arsenal is vast. He will move decisively for confronting us that there is no way in which we can outsmart or evade him. His wrath is so great and our counter moves are so utterly futile that we will certainly come to his hand. In Psalms chapter 90 and verses 7 through 9, we read this about the life under those uh, opposing the hand of God. For we are consumed of thine anger, and by thy wrath we are troubled. Thou hast set our iniquity before thee, our secret sin, and the light of thy countenance. For all the days are passed away. In In thy wrath we spend our years as a tale that is told. I wish that I could tell you for sure that we've got time, that we haven't quite got there yet. But my friends, my heart tells me that we are ever so close, that we must take serious 
the limit to how much sin God will put up with. And he has said that the first hand of wrath is not to the world around us, but first to the house of God. So the second thing that I want you to see is that we need to understand and move back the time. We need to first recognize that there is a limit and we must do what we can to move away from that limit. We must stop what we're doing and do what he's called us to do. The second thing that we must do, the second dynamic that is in play, is a dynamic that lets us know that we need to do something. Because he says that only those who are right with God are prepared for the day of God's judgment. Now, what does that mean? Listen to the word that God sent to the the prophet Ezekiel. This is the declaration of the Lord God. And here's what he said. Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by transgressing grievously... Then will I stretch out mine hand upon it and will break the staff and the bread thereof and will send famine upon it and will cut off man from beast and beast from it. Though uh, these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they should, de- deliver, uh, they should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Now what is he saying? He's saying when that time, when that limit comes, he said there there comes a place when only those that have been walking with me will be able to tolerate the day of the wrath of God. All others will fall under its hand and we will perish in the midst of it. Hear the Lord this morning. Do not be deceived in thinking that you can hold on to your sinful attitudes, your gossiping tongue, your bitter unforgiveness, or any other sinful life choice that you are making right now. And think because you are called a child of God that you can get away with sin. God says His judgment will come upon His people. When we turn our affections away, when we call ourselves His people but are not walking in His footsteps. The Bible tells us that God has, has a word for us this morning. He, in, in the days of, of, of Jeremiah, God told them that the people of Jeremiah's day thought the very same thing. In Isaiah's day, uh, they said the same thing. They trusted in the fact that they were uh, uh, called God's people and that they had the temple of the Lord amidst them. Therefore, they would be saved from any judgment from God. But listen to what he says here in the scripture in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verses 8 through 11. Behold, you trust in the lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely and burn incense unto Baal? And walk after other gods whom you know not. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all of these abominations. In this house, which is called by my name, became a den of robbers in, the eyes, in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. Jeremiah reminds us that that the people of that day were going out and living their lifestyle and then they were coming to the synagogue and saying, we're the people of God. The Bible tells us, Paul writing in, in the book of Romans, I think it is, that he said, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Listen, my friends, we don't have a righteous excuse for our sin. We don't have the ability to say, because I came to church Sunday, I can live like the devil Monday through Saturday. Listen, my friends, too many people, too many people are living life their way and then coming and claiming to be God's children. In Jeremiah's day, God brought his judgment upon the nation at the hands of the Babylonian king. Uh, Centuries later, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, prophesying the destruction that would come into the hands by the army of Rome. And he that brought the same accusation against God's people in those days 
when he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. Do you make it a den of robbers? Listen, my friends, do you know when the people of God become den of robbers? Claude King, the, the writer, uh, uh, co-writer of Experiencing God, said it like this. When they live lives of sin all week long and then come before the Lord and say, we're safe, we're God's people. They rob God of what he deserves by living and acting like the rest of the lost world all week long and then come to church on Sunday and say, I'm okay, my life's good. I'm a Christian. I'm doing right. I'm going to heaven when I die. I prayed the prayer. I joined the church. I come when I can. Listen, my friends, as God's people, we must confess and repent. That means we must turn away from our sin. If we're to receive the cleansing of Jesus Christ that He has provided through the shed blood, 1 John 1, 9 reminds us that if we confess our sin, it tells us that we have to acknowledge that we have sinned before the, the God of heaven, and we have to acknowledge that my sin separates me from God. It's my sin. It's my misbehaving. It's my rebellion. It's my disobedience. It's my unclean lips. I must confess before the Lord. And then he says, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Only through repentance. And repentance doesn't mean just saying, oh, God, we all sin. God, we all fail. God, we all make mistakes. No, 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 no. Repentance is acknowledging it and then stopping it and doing something else righteous. For the Lord. If there is no turning away from our sin, there is no repentance of sin. Listen, my friends, if you want to be ready for the day of the judgment of the Lord, and I believe that we are on the precipice of the day of judgment, and I believe the church house is going to experience it. I know there are preachers out there that will tell you, don't worry, you can live how you want because God's going to come and save the church before He ever sends any kind of uh, great judgment upon the world. I think it's hogwash. I don't think it's biblical. God is going to purify His church. You and I call ourselves the church. Therefore, there must be a purification. We must be right. We must be ready. The third dynamic to turning back the clock is as God's people, we have a choice to make before it's too late. Today may be that day of choice, my friends. We can either see the pending danger and return to the Lord before He brings great judgment, or we can wait until after the judgment and see the disaster and cry out for mercy and repentance then. Now throughout the Old Testament Scripture, we find that there are two ways throughout the Scripture that we see that God deals with us. First of all, throughout Scripture, there, there is the, uh, the uh, beforehand, and then there's after the judgment. Throughout Scripture, God prescribed what is called a solemn assembly or what we call today corporate prayer. Meaning where the church comes together. Just the end of last month, uh, um, there was a great calling together of the church. And they went and they, they gathered together in Washington on the, the mall and other places. And, and Christians from all over came and prayed for America. A gathering, a solemn assembly for the solemn purpose to cry out before God that we have sinned as a nation. My friends, we need that corporate prayer time. As an element of returning to the Lord, there are two approaches in Scripture for solemn assemblies. Either there will be a solemn assembly that will come before the devastation or the destruction of judgment, or 
There will be a solemn assembly that comes together after God's hand of judgment has been upon the people and they cry out seeking mercy for the weight of the hand of the Lord is too great for them. I want to look at those both just very quickly as we close today before I call you to a decision. First of all, I want you to see what it looks like before judgment strikes. When King Jehoshaphat saw a vast army coming against his nation, he called the people together to fast and to seek help from the Lord. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verses 3 through 5 says, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the face of the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court as he read on, on God's response. As you read on, you'll see God's response and that he saved his people because of their prayer. When King Josiah heard of God's word after so long of, uh, of not seeing it, and he heard what God had said in his word. Josiah tore his clothes in anguish, realizing that his nation had offended God by violating his commands. And then Josiah humbled himself before the Lord and then called the people together and guided them towards repentance. And God spared that generation from destruction. Again, 2 Chronicles chapter 34. This is the preferred action in which God desires that the church of God take today. That we call a solemn assembly, that we call a time of corporate prayer together. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, recognize that we must cry out before the Lord comes in judgment. But there is another. Another time in which we see in Scripture a time of solemn assembly time of crying out collectively after judgment strikes. In 586 B.C., God used a wicked king of Babylon to execute judgment upon Jerusalem and then upon Judea. And Nebuchadnezzar carried the people into exile into Babylon and they remained there for 70 years. After experiencing such great judgment, Ezra and Nehemiah guided the people to stand before the Lord in repentance so God would begin to heal their land and restore their land. In Nehemiah chapters 8 through 10, we see the two men come together and they bring together God's people and they talk about how bad things are but how great their God is. And they cry out before the Lord. And guess what? God heard their prayer their repentive prayer. But listen, my friends, what the difference is, is they had to go through exile. They had to go through war. They had to go through judgment before they ever cried out to the Lord. In the book of Joel, we went to, as we began today, God's people had experienced great destruction from swarms of locusts. As spiritual leader, Joel knew the remedy was simply to call out to God's people so that they might return to him through a solemn assembly. In Joel chapter 1, listen to what Joel tells the people in verses 14 and 15. Sanctify ye a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders of all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Alas, for the day, uh, for the day of the Lord is at hand and as destruction from the Almighty shall it come. And then we read in Joel chapter 2, in verses 12 through 13, that call for personal repentance. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart and, and with fasting and weeping and with mourning. And rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of that evil. God doesn't want us just to stand up and pray some prayer. He doesn't want us to rend our garments. He wants a broken and contrite heart. He wants us to acknowledge that we are a part of the problem, but we are a part of the answer. We must begin in solemn assembly.
we must begin gathering together in prayer. If you, my friends, sense as I do that God's people must cry out to the Lord at a time such as this and seek His mercy and repent both for our personal and national sin, please join me this morning as we stand together in unison. I wish that we could do what we've done in the past and, and, and join hands among one another so that we know that we're not in this alone. But may you know that as we show uh, our, our solidarity today by standing before the Lord, it matters not what position we take. It matters the position of our heart, my friend. And then as we come together in a time of corporate prayer before we leave this place, then I ask you to make a commitment, a commitment to God Himself to make it a priority for you and your family to pray for both individual and corporate repentance and spiritual awakening. It is time for us, the church, to cry out to the Lord. Let me just remind you of this. The spiritual healing that the United States of America is waiting for is simply waiting on the repentance of God's children, the church. Very little repentance will happen in this world until the world sees a lot of repentance in the church. It is up to us to make a difference. And we can begin today. Joel called the people together for a solemn assembly so I call you today, would you stand together in agreement in corporate prayer that we as the church need God himself to fall down upon us in power and in mercy and in grace. Now corporate prayer can be done many ways and, and, and because we're online and, and I want people to hear we're going to do it this way today. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that you would just agree in prayer with me. And as you're praying, if you need to lift your voice before the Lord, you go ahead. God can hear more than one at a time. And God understands the brokenness of your heart. If you need to weep before the altar of God this morning, it is open for you today. But hear us, O Lord, we pray. Father, we ask that, Lord, as you have given us instruction today that, Father, that we are on the precipice of either a great spiritual awakening or a time of great judgment. We know not the answer. But, Lord, we know, Father, what we must do. So, Lord, we confess today that we have killed millions and billions of babies. We confess that, Father, that we have let sin creep into our lives. We have tolerated and we have uh, participated in the sin of this world. We're living like the world. Oh, God, we pray that, Father, that you would break us as you have broken us ever before, that you would cause our hearts, oh, Lord, to be broken to ashes before you and that our spirit would be poured out upon you, O oh Lord, that you would take the broken pieces of our life and you would put them back and make us a vessel that is fit for the lifting and the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Father, I pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, to recognize that we, the church, God's people must stand before the Lord and we must, like Isaiah confessed, that we are men and women of unclean lips and we dwell among people of unclean lips. Lord, we have said one thing with our, our words, but we have done another with our life, and we ask that you would forgive us, O oh God, and cleanse us from the unrighteousness that we bring before you. Lord, where we have become robbers in the house of God, robbing God not only of the tithe, but of the life that he has called us to live in the world and to be the witness that he's called us to be. Lord, would you, Christ, would you just pour Pour out yourself upon us, O Lord. And Lord God, I pray that you would individually show us our sin, that we might pour out our hearts before you, O Lord, and that we might ask, O Lord, that you would just lift up our voice. Hear us, O Lord. And Lord, as we cry out together, 
as Joel and as Nehemiah and Ezra led the people in solemn assembly of praying together, God, your word has spoken our sin against us, O Lord, and we do not deny it, but Lord, we acknowledge that we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need your blood to cover us from all unrighteousness. We want to return to you. We want to be restored as the children of God. We want the power of God to fall upon us as it's never done before. Send a Holy Ghost revival upon us, O Lord. Awaken the sleeping giant. O God, make your church once again the light in the darkness, the salt that savors the earth, the, the hope for, for the, those around us, O oh Lord. May our voice be that of one crying out in the wilderness, make way for the coming of the Lord, for He, the Lord, has come and His salvation is at hand. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, help us to acknowledge, O oh God, that we have let the world down as we have let you down. And may we, O oh Lord, Father, acknowledge that we must be the voice and we must be the life for those who need to hear and see Jesus Christ in us. Lord, may this be the beginning of much prayer, of much supplication. May it be the beginning of much praying, O Lord, and confessing of our sin. And Lord, would the Holy Spirit of God remind us daily of our sin and our wickedness and remind us that we have a God who promises that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to restore us unto life with you. Lord, I pray that God, that you would begin in us a work that would spread throughout our community out throughout our state and throughout our country and then throughout the world. Lord, we ask this in the name that is most powerful and most holy and most gracious. But yet, Father, it is a name in which will bring the wrath of God if we do not take serious His Word. Lord, we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people acknowledge that we have sinned and we are coming in the face of, uh, of repentance and we ask for mercy, said amen and amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. For those of you that are online, thank you for worshiping with us this morning. May the Lord bless you. And if you need us, our number is there on the screen for you. Please call us. If the rest of you will give me just a minute to get to the back of the room.